0: You're all a bunch of fucking assholes. You know why? You don't have the guts to be what you want to be. You need people like me. You need people like me so you can point your fucking fingers and say, that's the bad guy. So what I make you good? You're not good. You just know how to hide. How to lie. Me. I don't have that problem. Me. I always tell the truth. Even when I lie. So say goodnight to the bad guy. Come on.
1: Music and murder contains violence, profanity, and graphic material that may not be suitable for children or people with weak stomachs. Parental advisory is definitely
0: recommended.
2: Say hello to the bad guy. You name me so you could point your fucking finger and say that's the bad guy. My name is Michael D. Keeney, and I am an alcohol. Oh, wait a minute, this is the wrong meeting. Okay, this is episode 28 of Music and Murder, and it is a reboot of episode 1, which I had to pull about a year and a half ago because I had to record it while I had an enormous growth of my vocal cords. Thus... It was just all around a terrible production, and a really, really good fucking story. A really good love-hate-murder story. And we all know that murder loves company. So let's do this, and let's do it right this fucking time, right? Here we go. Episode 28 of Music and Murder. You're gonna love it. It was a scalding hot day in Richmond, Texas on July 24th, 2011 and due to a missing 27-year-old woman from Raleigh, North Carolina a search and rescue crew was assembled by the Richmond Sheriff's Department. Now this search and rescue team was put together for one reason and one reason only. And that one reason was to find this woman's missing body or at least just various parts of her body the 27 year old woman from North Carolina's name was Laura Ackerson and Laura was a mother of two and on this very hot and humid day in July Laura had been already missing for a total of 11 days. For any of you that don't know where Richmond County is, Richmond County, Texas, excuse me, it's about an hour southwest of Houston, Texas. Now, in the heart of Richmond County lies a small town called Fort Bend. And if you know anything about Fort Bend, Texas, you know that it is extremely hot and humid during the summer with temperatures reaching upwards towards 100 degrees with a lovely, lovely 85% or higher humidity which is absolutely nowhere to be if and when there's a decaying body right in the area and that's even after you get past all of the alligators and the snakes and the bugs because you see this woman's body that these police officers were looking for was literally scattered in multiple areas of the swamp the slough the murky little river or whatever you choose to call it i like to call it a hot humid dead bug-ridden swamp, and this swamp came complete with the smell of a rotting and decaying human female dead body. So welcome to episode 28 of Music and Murder, the story of Grant Hayes, aka the Dumb Fuck Killer. The police and the media usually assign killers, usually serial killers, with monikers, or in layman's terms, a nickname. Grant Hayes was not a serial killer because he was way too stupid to ever do anything like that without getting caught, but me being the caring and loving person that I am, I decided that he deserved a moniker, so I gave him one, and I hope that he likes it because he did earn it. Now this swamp where the sheriff's search and rescue team was assembled was called Oyster Creek. Only thing is, there are no oysters in these murky waters. There was only death in the swamp at this time. A senseless death of that, that never should have ever taken place. The swamp waters of Oyster Creek were so dark and murky that the diving team had to literally sink themselves to the bottom of the swamp and make snow angels so they could feel around and try to find parts of a female corpse that had been sawed into several pieces and thrown around the entirety of the swamp. Now, while all of this was going on, certain sheriffs were also assigned as gator snipers, for lack of a better term, of course. But they were holding guns to the heads of a lot of alligators to protect the officers that were diving, because Oyster Creek is completely full of very ferocious alligators. Very large alligators, which is why this spot was chosen by a very unintelligent professional musician named Grant Hayes. When searching for body parts in water, or to say it in a better manner for my outstanding law-abiding citizens that listen and subscribe to my show, when dumping a dead body into water you have to realize that the less dense body parts always float. Especially the torso, right? Because it's full of gases. It's kinda like your intestines giving out one last ginormous fart. Body parts that are more dense such as feet, hands, and heads usually sink, but not always. It actually depends on the body fat of the person, and how long the body decayed before it was dumped into water. Now, I'm not trying to give anyone any pointers, but let's say you kill someone out of self-defense, or someone that killed or tried to kill a family member, or your cat, and you murdered them, right? and you have to dispose of their body inside of a swamp or an ocean or a lake, you need to remove the head, the hands, the feet, the legs, and cut the torso separately. And then either cut the torso open and remove all the organs and refill the torso with rocks or bricks or something dense and heavy and wrap the torso with chicken wire, or rewrap the torso with chicken wire so that it shuts again. Then place it all in many plastic bags with no air before dumping. And just to be clear, I am absolutely by no means giving you tips on how to dispose of a body in water. I'm just telling you science, nothing more murder is best left for extreme cases where people have to be killed right don't kill anyone that doesn't deserve it always remember self-defense or not after you dump a body you better be willing to live the remainder of your entire life in a jumpsuit fight every day live around non-stop screaming and drama and eat some of the worst fucking food on the planet. Don't kill someone if you can't do the time. Just don't. Because there's no statute of limitations on murder, and no murder, excuse me, no murder is foolproof, right? I've heard of some very crazy stories where murderers did everything perfectly, and they still got caught. So please just remember that. Murder should only be used as a very last resort Because no matter how hard you think you are prison fucking sucks Make good choices people Make good choices Now my interview for this episode is with singer-songwriter and front woman Annie from the band Trashy Annie based out of Austin, Texas And exactly who the fuck is Trashy Annie you ask? Well here, it'll be easier just to push this button for you. Trashy Annie with God Save the Queen and we will have an interview with her at the end of the show So please make sure to stick around for that and their IG will also be in the show notes Or you can just type in trashy Annie on Anything and they should come up and please make sure to follow the show's IG at music underscore murder underscore podcast and please leave a review so the show and all the musicians that I play on the show and interview on the show can actually keep an audience thank you so much and last but not least please do look up all the artists that I play on here because their websites will all be in the show notes and they deserve your support and now back to our after-school special so the date was July 24th 2011 And Laura Ackerson, a 27-year-old North Carolina mother of two, has now been missing for 11 days. The search and rescue team in Richmond County, Texas, specifically Fort Bend, Texas, were diving in the black murky waters of Oyster Creek, trying to recover her remains. One diver came up with a foot, another came up with her head, and another with half of her torso, and then the other half of her torso, and then most of her left leg. That was all that was found. So, altogether, 27 year old Laura Ackerson was in five different pieces, but it's much more likely that she was actually dissected into 11 before she was scattered all over this alligator infested waters known as Oyster Creek I can almost tell you with certainty that she was decapitated then her hands and her feet were removed then she was dismembered which is when you remove a person's limbs and then her torso was cut in half as well surprisingly her teeth were still inside her severely severely swollen and disfigured head And I say surprisingly because usually the teeth are the first thing to go before decapitation actually occurs. But we have to remember who did this, right? Grant Hayes, the dumb fuck killer, strikes again. Well, not again. But for the first and only time. And I did have a message asking me why I always say... Not always, but I say decapitation and dismembering like they are two different things. And the answer to that is very simple, because those are two completely different things. Decapitation is the removal of a head, and dismemberment is the removal of legs and arms. I hope that makes a little bit of sense. So Laura's five body parts were recovered in Oyster Creek, and they were very mutilated and very decayed, waterlogged, and basically her flesh was just falling right off of her bones. And her eyes were eaten out of her severely swollen and disfigured head by the fish, the leeches, and the crawfish. You see, when a person dies in a body of water that contains life forms such as fish and crawdads, etc., The eyes are always the first things to get eaten. Now let's rewind and start from the beginning and discuss how Laura's remains became a resident of these alligator infested murky Texas water or Texas waters if you prefer. Now I'd like to introduce you to the dumb fuck killer. Legally known as Grant Rufin Hayes third And Grant is also a professional musician, believe it or not. Now, from this point on, I will refer to Grant Hayes as simply the Dumbfuck, as in the Dumbfuck Killer. Now, Dumbfuck didn't only think of himself as a musician, not at all. Dumbfuck thought of himself as the perfect musician. And just to prove it to all of you, just in case I have any skeptics out there, here's a little clip of Dumbfuck himself.
0: Do your best. Be perfect. Be perfect, Grant.
1: Be as perfect as you can be, because you can't. No one.
0: Well, no, 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 no. Be perfect, Grant. Grant knows what perfect Grant is. And Grant doesn't, and Grant can always be perfect. Wow. And that's that, do your best. You know, I had my experience with drugs and alcohol, of you know, with music. And during that time, I was not my best. Mm. You know, the music I was putting out was unsafe. You know, it's just, it's not classic. It's you know, it's it was it was a waste.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: It was a waste. Um and Me being perfect now, there's no problems. No problems at all.
2: You really do have to give it up to a guy who can not only refer to himself as a third person, but a guy that can refer to himself as being perfect while simultaneously calling his third person self perfect as well. Oh, and that woman who is acting like she's interviewing him? Well, I did some digging on that, and it turns out that it's not a real interview. Dumbfuck actually paid her to be in a self made promo video to act as though she was interviewing him like he was somebody important. And even as this woman is being paid by Dumbfuck, She still argues with him and basically tries to save Dumbfuck from sounding like a complete Dumbfuck. But unfortunately, all the King's horses and all the King's men couldn't put Dumbfuck back together again. Nobody could help this guy, not even people he was paying to help him. The video rubbed everyone wrong, even before he became the infamous Dumbfuck killer. Everyone who watched this fake interview had nothing nice to say about him. Nothing nice to say about him. And no, they weren't just haters. One has to actually acquire some authentic fans to have authentic haters. Sometimes nobody likes you. And if that's the case, they're not haters. They're just people who can see you for what you really are. And in this case, a dumb fuck, right? Now in March of 2007 in Raleigh, North Carolina, a beautiful and young 23-year-old Laura Ackerson is working as a waitress at a nightclub in Raleigh, North Carolina. And there's a dumb fuck who's about three years older than her playing guitar and singing in this nightclub that she was working at. And this dumb fuck's name is none other than Grant Hayes, of course. So, as she's bringing the dumb fuck out a strawberry daiquiri, dumb fuck asks her out. And against her better judgment, Laura Ackerson accepts this offer and the two begin dating. Now, Laura's friends did not approve of this. And her father definitely did not approve of her dating the dumb fuck. And it was not because the dumb fuck was black but it was because, and all you musicians, excuse me, and all you musicians, please cover your ears for a second. Laura's father told her as best he could to stay away from the dumb fuck because he was a professional musician. Which I honestly, honestly cannot really blame him. I mean, us musicians know that we're not all lying, cheating, drugged out whores, But a good portion of us are. And it is difficult to have a stable relationship with a professional musician. But it's still better than dating a fucking cop, right? And we can write romantic songs for the women and men that we date. And get them panties a tad bit wet. And if you're in the guys, get that dick a little hard, you know? And we're usually pretty fucking interesting, so... And hell, if you're the dumb fuck killer, you're also perfect, right? Too bad he couldn't have just dated and fucked and killed himself as being part of, like, you know, being perfect. But no, he had to date Laura Ackerson, unfortunately. And within just a few months, Laura was pregnant with the dumb fuck's first kid and her first kid as well they named the baby boy Grant the Fourth, and honestly he was a cute little guy and then soon after Grant Fourth was born Laura ended up pregnant once again and when she did the dumb fuck purposely told her that he wanted to marry her so he proposed to her and they had a wedding And please do make note that I am literally saying that they had a wedding Not that they got married, right? A wedding, not married Now right after this wedding The dumb fuck moved to the Virgin Islands for a bit to play some decent paying gigs Now for you musicians out there the Virgin Islands, from what I hear, is a good place to play, as are most touristy islands. But you're definitely just working, right? You're not going there to get a record deal or make a name for yourself, but you can make a little money for sure. And when Laura finds out that she's pregnant with her second child, her and their kid, Grant the fourth, move over to the Virgin Islands to be with the dumb fuck because he's got work over there and he doesn't want to come back at this time. Plus, there was one more reason why the dumb fuck didn't want to move back to North Carolina. Can you think of what that one reason might be? Well, I'll give you a hint. It has two fake titties, dyed blonde hair, and a shaved vagina. Oh yeah 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 you got it you got it he met a blonde little home wrecking cocksucking cum catching whore named Amanda the dumb fuck was fucking Amanda even while Laura and their son lived with him at the Virgin Islands but he was able to keep this hidden very well see Laura and Grant the fourth had no clue now as Laura got more pregnant and the dumbfuck's music career began to dry out because there's only so many places to play before people get sick of you over there, and the three then had the move back to Raleigh. However, the dumbfuck killer and Amanda did keep in contact on social media, mainly on Snapchat, where cheaters prevail because videos pictures and all messages just magically disappear right after everybody comes. So while all of this lying and deception is going on, the dumb fuck and Laura have their second little boy and they named him Gentle Rain. And rain is not as in the falling rain, but rain as in raining over the peasants. Or if you think like I do, like rain in blood which is the best Slayer record in their entire catalog. So the dumb fuck had a wedding and two little boys with Laura, but is secretly carrying on a very adulterous affair with this blonde that he met in the Virgin Islands, where virgins exist about as much as unicorns do. So what could ever go wrong from here? Well, hold that thought. I'll be right back to tell you after this Eagles cover from my Seattle friend JT Sunrise. Now, JT is not only a musician, he is also a very, very gifted graphic artist who recently made my latest video, excuse me, my latest video for my single Alcohol and Women. You could see his work if you go to IG and type in JT Sunrise. Two words, not one word. And if you'd like to see my latest video that he did, just type in Michael D. Keeney, and Keeney is K-E-E-N-E-Y, on Facebook, and scroll down a bit. All my stuff is is in the open. There's nothing hidden. Or you can see a minute of it on my personal IG at Keeney underscore music. Again, this is JT Sunrise, Seattle's Blues Cat, with the 1979 Eagles hit, peaceful, easy feeling. And I hope all of you are having a very peaceful, easy feeling right now.
3: I like the way your sparkling rings lay Against your skin So bright to sleep with you in the desert tonight to build your stars all the ground. Cause I got a peaceful, easy feeling I know you won't found out a long time ago what a woman can do to your soul how she can't take you anyway you don't already know how to go I oh got peace for all these fears I know you won't let me down
2: Again, that was JT Sunrise from Seattle with peaceful easy feeling please look him up and also look up the video that he did for me it's called alcohol and women it's definitely unique I've never seen anything quite like it in fact all of his artwork is pretty fucking dope okay so back to the story So, Dumbfuck had just moved back from the Virgin Islands with his wife and now two kids Grant Rufus Hayes IV and Gentle Rain However, Dumbfuck was still having a little problem with ditching that dirty little come-catching home-wrecking whore Amanda So, he was still secretly carrying on an affair with her via internet, and quite possibly in real life as well, we just don't know. As far as Laura was concerned, they had a beautiful and perfect monogamous relationship. She knew absolutely nothing about what a lying, cheating, pile of shit that the dumb fuck was. Not only did he hire a woman to act like she was interviewing him while he called himself perfect, but he also had just changed the spelling of his last name from H-A-Y-E-S to H-A-Z-E to sound a little more like weed, right? I honestly do not think that the dumb fuck knew how to tell the truth about even what time it was. His whole life. His whole life was a complete lie. He was the epitome of all that gives professional musicians like myself, like many of you, a bad name. And the dumb fuck was also a classic sociopath, which is kind of like a really unintelligent psychopath. Either way, the dumb fuck cared only about the dumb fuck. So, a little time, maybe two or three months passed by, And the dumb fuck tells Laura that he has to go to New York for business. You know, like as in the music business. Because even Laura, the mother of his children, was fooled into thinking that he was some big time musician. I don't know how. And let me add that during this time, during this time when he was taking a music business trip to New York, on YouTube, Twitter, in every social media platform that the dumb fuck had at this time the dumb fuck had less than a hundred followers combined on everything. So taking music business trips to New York when not even a hundred people like you it's not really something that happens in the music business and it has never happened really in music business history unless you're just like some trust fund little bitch that's gonna go like play rock star. however the dumb fuck did acquire two very important followers that would pay for everything for him right? and likely even bought his guitar and his microphone and that of course was Laura and Amanda Now, I'd like to point out to you ladies, if you are with a musician, excuse me, with a musician who needs you to purchase their equipment, you're not with a musician. You're with a helpless little bitch that thinks that they can play music. Anywho, so regardless, the dumb fuck leaves for work in New York. And not only is it not really a business trip, But it is also a trip that he can't afford. So how does he get there? And why the fuck is he going? Well, I'll give you a hint. It has two fake titties. And, God, it it was obviously Amanda, right? Who else would pay for his trip and want to meet him in New York? But only this wasn't just a trip to hook up with Amanda. Not at all. This was a trip That was going to change everyone's life that had anything to do with the dumb fuck forever after flying into New York the dumb fuck departs from his jet that Amanda paid for and he rushes into her loving arms and the two jumped into a taxi that was waiting for their arrival now where was this taxi taking them well it was taking them to a church where they got fucking married. That's right, the dumbfuck killer and Amanda were now Mr. and Mrs. Dumbfuck. And they barely knew each other for a few months. And now I know what you're thinking. Wasn't the dumbfuck already married? Being that him and Laura had a wedding, you ask? Well,. Laura thought so, but when the dumb fuck called her to tell her that his New York trip wasn't actually about the music business, but rather the wedding business, his reply to Laura was that he never fucking signed the marriage license. Now take this in for just a second. Laura meets the dumb fuck, she has children with the dumb fuck. She trusts the dumb fuck. Continues to date him, even though everyone she knew told her not to fuck with the dumb fuck. And now, not only does he lie to her about where he's going, but he's also going there to get married to a dirty, home-wrecking, fucking whore. And now, to top all of that off, Laura also finds out that he completely lied to her about even being married. And this isn't even the worst of it. Think ahead to the reason why this poor woman is on my show. This dumb motherfucker screwed this woman over like I've never encountered. A woman who really believed in him, believed in his music career, and loved him with all of her heart. He wasn't only the dumb fuck killer. He was also an insidious and vindictive fucking pile of shit. Now, just to back up for a second, back to the video where he hired that woman with Laura's money, likely, to act like she was interviewing him. This is my favorite part of that video. This is where he's talking about how he's going to be performing at an event with all the biggest names in the music business. And he has this big painting of Tupac that he was supposedly painting to give to Tupac's mother. And this is all supposed to happen at this big event in Beverly Hills. Now, the dumb fuck. With less than 100 followers on everything in the world combined, uh, you just, yeah. L- let me just play the clip because you're, you're not even gonna fucking believe this.
0: Gonna be performing at the Aqua Lounge in Beverly Hills Wednesday, taking a break from the studio, going out there doing that. Be live. Gonna yeah. be sitting down with Athena Shakur, who gave birth to this great man behind me. I painted this picture for her. I'm gonna be giving this picture to Fina. Shakur and uh, meeting Who is? Uh, Tupac's mother. Okay. And yeah, <laughs> in the room with, you know, the ultimate there. Um, wow. And Little Richard, godfather of rock and roll, soul. He put us on the map. He's like the atomic bomb for American music. Mm. Little Richard, gonna be meeting him. Uh, excited. You, you, the butterflies are, they're dancing.
2: Yeah. So this clip makes me want to laugh. And then it makes me want to punch somebody. And by somebody, I mean the dumb fuck. I understand fake it till you make it, but to drop names and events that you were nowhere near in a video that you release into almost a hundred people is just dis-fucking disgusting. I researched everything about the dumb fuck, and he'd never in his entire life, in his entire life, Ever even been to California much less met Tupac's mother Athena and little Richard and even if he did go to this event do you really think that Tupac's mother would accept a big ginormous fucking painting from some idiot that nobody even knows she likely would have had the dumb fuck thrown out by security Now, like I said, the dumb fuck gives musicians a bad name. He is not only an embarrassment to musicians, he's also an embarrassment to the human race. Oh, and one other lie that I caught him in before we get into the really serious lies. He also said that when he was in the Virgin Islands, he was hanging out regularly with Kenny Chesney. Now I know a lot about Kenny, in fact, we have the same jeweler. I'm sure that Kenny has quite a few more pieces than I do, but Roman Paul in Los Angeles made my custom Diamond D guitar pick necklace, and he also made a few pieces for Kenny. And he also made a few pieces for Johnny Depp. But that's not relevant here. Is this something I'm throwing out there? But what is relevant is that Kenny Chesney was in Tennessee the entire time that the dumb fuck killer was playing tiny little bars in the Virgin Islands. Chesney didn't even tour or leave her vacation that entire year because he was mostly in the studio the entire time. So, this guy is just a pathological fucking liar about everything. Now, for you super sleuths out there, what was so important that the dumb fuck had to marry Amanda right away? Like, they never even lived together. So, why marriage all of a sudden? Was it that she was rich? Was she just that in love with him, and he was just that in love with her? Was he just sick of Laura? Or was it because he got her pregnant? Well, the answer is E. All of the above. Yes, that is right. Before Grant moved back to Raleigh, with his alleged wife, and their two kids, he was actually leaving two women behind in the Virgin Islands. Amanda, the whore, of course, and her baby girl that was growing inside of her, which they later named Lily when she was born. The plot just continues to thicken, right? If there wasn't a murder involved, you would almost think that I was talking about Morgan Wallen and his never-ending list of children that he keeps having, but We will have to wait a few more years before I can do an episode on him. But trust me, I know that it's coming. Literally, it's coming. So this is a song that I put out in my rock days about 10 years ago. And it's one that I did every instrument on the recording. And it got a little radio play, so I was pretty proud of that. Nothing big, but I like it. And it's called Wasted, and I hope that you like it. Hey, let me in. I got something for that ass.
4: What the fuck are you doing here, motherfucker? It's three in the morning.
2: I don't know. I don't know. Just hold on. Just check it out. Check, check it out, okay?
4: What the fuck? Check what out? Me stabbing you in the fucking neck?
2: No, no. Oh. oh. Oh, I just, I just wanted to see you, man. Miss, missed, I just, I miss the hell out of you. No, you don't.
4: You're just trying to get me to fuck you because you're drunk off your fucking ass.
2: No, 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 seri- seriously. Seriously, I miss you. I just wanted to come by and fucking s- hello. I just wanted to say hello and tell you honestly how much I I care about you. It's, I'm fucking sorry it's so late, man. Fuck.
4: All right, I guess you can come in, but just for a minute.
2: an older song of mine called wasted off of my happy hour record and please don't forget to follow the show on IG music underscore murder underscore podcast because that's where I do all my talking to everyone in regards to the show so you could send me links to your music send me death threats send me drugs and don't forget after this we have an amazing interview with frontwoman Annie from Trashy Annie out of Austin, Texas. So you have to listen to it because you know what I always say. You don't fuck with Texas, right? I also, I also have a song from a band called Pharmacide right before the interview. And those guys are fucking amazing. If you like like the hardcore shit, oh, you're going to love this. And while we're talking about Amazing, for episode 29, the next episode, for you number challenge people, I have Jared from the Las Vegas Blue Man Group, who is also the drummer for Power Man 5000, which is fronted by Rob Zombie's brother. So, good shit all around. Okay, let's get back to our nice little child bedtime story. And one more thing, thank you for listening to the show. I mean that with all my heart. There's a million things you could be listening to and you're listening to this show and I appreciate that very, very much.
3: Okay, let's get back to the story.
2: The dumb fuck left his unlawful wife, Laura Ackerson and his two children to marry Amanda Hayes, whom he just had a child with. The time was july eleventh of twenty eleven. Things had obviously been very bitter and very dramatic between these three. And there was of course, of course, a custody battle going on as well. Also Laura Ackerson was the only one of the three who had any money coming in. Because Dumbfuck was still acting as though he was a rock star, and his new wife Amanda, well, she was going around telling people that she was a superstar actress. But in reality, neither one of them even had a job. Amanda had told people that she had been on multiple shows, including the award-winning hit series The Sopranos. But like the dumb fuck, she rang true to being Mrs. Dumbfuck. Dumbfuck by lying about everything. So I'm not sure if they wanted the kids just to get social services or if they actually wanted the kids. But I'm guessing it was likely the former. The dumbfuck also wrote and recorded a song, likely with Laura's own money about killing Laura. The song was titled Broomstick Rider, and it went into detail about how he wanted to kill her and how he was pretty much going to do everything that he had to do to kill her. The song was everything that a DA would likely start masturbating to while trying the case against the dumb fuck. So why am I not playing it, right? Well, the song has been removed from everything, and I'm not playing anything else from The Dumb Fuck because his music is shit, just like he is. Just know that that song does exist, and it did help the jury when it came to The Dumb Fuck's day in court. So after writing this song, and after lying to the courts about everything to do with Laura, I mean, Everything like they told the courts and social services that she was prostituting herself out, shooting heroin, and all this this crazy shit. They then devised a brand new plan on July eleventh, two thousand eleven, which was the day that the dumb fuck couple was supposed to have Grant the Fourth and Gentle Rain. They called Laura and they offered to give her the kids for the day. And though Laura had just started a brand new company that did menus and stuff for restaurants, she immediately took the day off so she could spend the day with her kids that she really actually did love. She called her business partner and notified her what was going on. And with her partner's blessing, she drove to the dumb fucks residence. And once she entered their apartment, her phone went off and nobody had ever seen or heard from her ever again at least never seen her in one piece again now five days later after Laura's disappearance the cops begin to go through all the texts and watching the dumb fucks as much as they could the dumb fucks told the police that Laura was supposed to meet them, him and Mrs. Dumbfuck, and the kids at a child theme park called Monkey Joe's, but the text messages did not corroborate with this information at all. There was one thing that really stood out when the police showed up at the Dumbfuck's residence as well, and that was the giveaway smell of bleach. We've talked about the smell of bleach in many episodes. You know now that that smell is just as bad as having, the, like, the smell of a decaying body in your house. The only way to clean a crime scene is to burn it. And that's just forensics and science. And to add insult to injury, the dumb fuck's bathroom was completely spotless. And they had three kids. So that doesn't happen. Ever. Ever. Never. Also, Laura's car, Laura Ackerson's car, was found literally just a quarter mile away from the dumb fuck's house. So that alone is enough to get a warrant in North Carolina. Now, if this isn't enough, the police now also have camera footage. Of the dumb fucks going into a drugstore and a Walmart and purchasing gloves. Muronic acid, which is used to help decompose bodies. Twelve bottles of bleach. And a hand saw, which was later proven to be the saw that the dumb fucks used to cut Laura's body up. Right after these two purchased all of this stuff, the very next day... They rented a U-Haul trailer, and they drove almost 20 hours straight to Richmond, Texas, where Amanda's sister Karen lived. When the dumb fucks arrived, they immediately asked Karen where the most alligators in the area was, and Karen told them right across the street in Oyster Creek. So the dumb fucks waited until night and then they took a boat out and they began throwing out all of Laura Ackerson's body parts all over different areas of Oyster Creek they did this with ice chests because they put all of Laura's body parts in ice chests before they actually made the drive to Texas the Raleigh police saw that the dumbfucks had rented a U-Haul truck one way to Amanda's sister Karen's house and when they showed up to ask Karen about this strange visit Karen just told them everything. Thus most of Laura's remains were found and the dumbfucks were arrested immediately on multiple charges. Amanda said that she had no idea that Grant killed Laura or why they were even driving the Texas So I guess maybe this stupid bitch really was a little bit of an actress after all the two were tried separately as they tried to blame Laura's murder on Each other because you've never seen that happen, right? Grant was sentenced to life without the possibility of parole because they didn't have any death penalty in North Carolina, and they still don't. And his wife, Amanda, well, she was sentenced to only 13 years. However, Amanda was also tried in Texas for tampering with evidence, and they gave her the maximum of 20 years. And Amanda's sentences Are to be served out consecutively not concurrently which means when this bitch gets out in North Carolina which is about sometime around this year she will then take that same long ride from North Carolina to Texas and she will do 20 more years and that wraps up the story portion of episode 28 of Music and Murder. Please follow the show, and please, never forget. Just because you're paranoid, it doesn't mean that they're not out to get you. And now, a cute little nursery rhyme from Pharmacide. And then, an amazing interview with Trashy Annie. So, by no means is this show even close to over so please stick around, and I will talk to you very soon. Peace out, y'all. Oh, and I almost forgot real fast, this song is called Born to Slaughter. I hope you like it. Okay, and it is midnight and it is time to call Annie from Trashy Annie. Well, hello. Hi. Okay. So you grew up in, well, you were born in San Antonio, Texas, and then you moved over to Portland.
1: I did. I was, I was only two, so I didn't have a lot of choice in the matter
2: the rain is good for writing songs and it's good for depression and it's good for heroin use so like if you want to write songs and shoot a lot of heroin and stuff it's great but carrying equipment I remember when I lived in Nashville and I lived in Nashville during the winter, when I first moved over there, and I was not ready for carrying my equipment from place to place on Broadway you know with with that fucking type of rain. it was just like some of my shit got ruined, and you have to you have to like waterproof everything when you live somewhere like that,
1: yeah, and I didn't play music when I lived there, but it was I just remember the- <laughs> the biggest thing was all of my pants every single pair of pants i had had this just frayed kind of disheveled bottom to them because they dragged through the water for so many months the year year. they just frayed themselves it's all of my pants and i moved down here i was like oh my god that's not a normal thing for your pants to do <laughs> yeah yeah i i just i packed my car and left i was 38 and i, I decided that was it and i uh, i broke with, up with this really awesome guy that I'd been dating for a long time and it was rather heartbreaking but I just felt like I needed to do it and I packed my car and I quit my job and I just came on down and pack and go sort of internal compass move so it was a really cool thing and then got down to Texas and felt like this is this is where I need to be and it's you know the weather weather is a thousand times better so yeah I love it now. It's a great place.
2: Let's talk a little bit about Austin. How's 6th uh, how's Street going? I, I hear that they call it Dirty Six now.
1: Yeah, it's gross down there. I don't go down there. We don't. <laughs> I played one gig there. I was like, nope, not for me.
2: You've only played Sixth Street one time.
1: Yeah, I was. I was, I was not. I, it's not my jam, man. It is. I don't know when the last time you've been down there, but it is not. It's a bunch of really drunk tourists just kind of stumbling around, and it's uh It's a lot of tribute bands. A lot of hip-hop and rap stuff, which I have no problem with. I, I like a lot of hip-hop and rap stuff, but it just feels like there's, we have a pretty massive homeless problem in Austin too. And so that that area of town has just, it's got a lot of crime now. You can't, there's shootings down there all the time. I mean, we played one time and our stuff was uh, backed up against uh, like a window that you could kind of, there were these couple of windows, like our, the stage backs up to a window and faces the club. And so people were trying to reach in the window and take our shit as they went by as we're playing a gig. Like it just, and, and you get these just rowdy, obnoxious drunk people that stumble in and you know yell free bird 80 times and then leave. It just is not my jam. Beyond all the other stuff is that you gotta load your shit they close down 6th Street on the weekends, and so you got to load all your shit. And most of those places don't have sound gear and all that. You can bring everything, you know, from That was my next question, yeah. <laughs> and you're trying to find parking, and you're trying to leave your stuff without it getting stolen while you're running it into the club, and it's just a whole thing. And, you know, those, those clubs pay, like, 200 bucks. They'll want you to come down there and play for three or four hours and give you 250 bucks like okay let me here's your one peanut you know to the drummer yeah. a peanut to the <laughs> guitar player and like there's there's not enough to go around so well, that's the reason why a i'm a solo artist yeah. these
2: days i charge as much as bands and i play by myself but i also have a fucking amazing pedal board and has two guitars on the on the stand and yeah i, I do a lot of things different than, than a lot of people but yeah i got sick of splitting the money up But I remember uh, when I went to Sixth Street last time, I was looking for weed, and everybody was just trying to sell me meth and crack so yeah, I, I, I do remember that much what it is down there now. I could so not find any weed like, anywhere <laughs>
1: it's not the scene that it used to be unfortunately because I know it used to be pretty cool now it's not it's not so great anymore yeah Nashville's Absolutely. changed
2: a lot too from what I hear uh, when I was living over there it was it was kind of the same way you couldn't park anywhere and people were just drunk but I mean I, I can't say that anybody ever tried to rip me off or anything like that it wasn't that scandalous And the homeless problem really wasn't that bad in that area because I think the police pretty much policed it pretty good. And I I love pretty neon lights. So Broadway in Nashville, I just I I really like playing over there. But it was a fucking bitch to load in. But the good thing is over there, every bar has a sound system. Every bar that I played at anyway, you didn't have to bring speakers at all. So that was that was nice
1: yeah that's good because it's a bitch and then you know if you if they don't have a sound system they probably don't have a sound engineer either so it just it feels like one of those places where a lot of people play as they're kind of getting started and then they grow out of that real quick they're like i don't want to go down and it's a novelty, wagon yeah. wheel over and over to every tourist <laughs> group that comes in fucking <laughs> yeah.
2: wagon wheel god damn it i know <laughs> so you kind of play the outskirts of Austin because I know Austin per capita has more live venues than any place in the world, supposedly.
1: Yeah. A lot of them are are getting torn down or have been, didn't make it through COVID. There was a, a lot of that that happened. And then um, now there's just a lot of growth happening in the city, which is really good for the economy and good for a lot of things. And, uh, but it's uh it also comes at a price because of course there's condos going in where some of the older clubs and cultural things used to be. So but, I, but yeah, we, play, we do play in Austin proper, but we've just got a couple of clubs that are in areas that you probably haven't been in if you haven't been here since then. But there's kind of the Red River District, which is I think kind of how 6th Street used to be back in the day. A little hipstery and kind of cool, and even that's getting a little too grown up. And there's buildings going in everywhere, and so now there's competing DJs, you know, in certain clubs on two sides of the street trying to outdo each other. So right, now right. that's kind of not great anymore either. But we've got our our couple of little clubs that we like playing in Austin, and then we, you know, we tour. We're touring a lot now, so we're getting even out of out of Texas in general, but also starting to get up to Dallas and trying. Yeah, to I know you were talking in to the, out the, the outlying
0: areas.
2: To the singer from Heroin Honey and stuff like that, and they're they're a great band. They have good connections over there. How did you find your your band? So you've only been doing music, I believe you told me like about four or five years, something like that. Like professionally, like actually really digging your teeth into it. Like how did you how did you put your band together?
1: Yeah, I I got my first guitar in 2020, so three years, three and a half years or so. Uh, four years, I guess. And, um, and I just, the idea was I really kind of, I actually bought a drum kit first. So I was a trumpet player through college, but then I got out of music entirely, went out into the world, did a bunch of stuff, started a company, did some other things and then came back around to it and had always wanted to play drums. So I bought a drum kit for Christmas in 2019, started to teach myself to play. And I was like, oh, I fucking love it. And I was like, you know, I've always wanted to write a song. But I'm terrified of the idea of singing in front of people. So I was like, I want to want to do this once, and I'm just gonna write a song. I'm gonna go to an open mic. I'm gonna do the thing and check that box. So I bought myself a little guitar at a pawn shop and uh, and started writing with. I could only play one chord. I could play an A minor shape, and so I wrote this. Uh, I wrote this uh, this song called Runnin', which is actually out there on Spotify in the world. Uh, but all it's got one chord. chord that I can play. Yeah, it's my one chord song. Which I love it. actually I think came out pretty cool. So so I, I did that. I went to an open mic at New World Deli in Austin, Texas. And you, they said you could three, sing three songs. And I was like, well, I only can play one song. So I'm going to do that one song and then I'm going to drink a bunch of wine. <laughs> so I did that. Now, do that, they
2: put a and, bunch of you on the stage at the same time? Because that's what they do in, in Nashville.
1: No, they did one at a time. Okay. So I'm up okay. There, sitting up there by myself with my guitar and i couldn't stand up and play guitar at the same time because you know it's a skill you gotta learn how to do it. and i was like i don't know how to do this i didn't even have a strap for my guitar i didn't know you were supposed to even put a strap on the guitar so i've got this guitar kind of sliding down my lap as i'm trying to play and i don't know how to like sing into the mic correctly so i'm like it, anyway it was a it was a shit show but it was also really empowering because i was like oh i did this thing i was so scared of like i'd never even done karaoke it was just a terror of mine, so I wanted to conquer it. So anyway, I did this thing and then I went back home and I woke up the next morning, I was like, I love songwriting. I need to figure out how to sing in front of people so I'm not afraid because I want to write music. And I, like I said, I had lost my dad a few years earlier and I had just some stuff, you know, and then COVID hit and you get all this head garbage and isolation and all the things, so I was like, I want to write music. So I started learning more on the guitar, dicking around on my drums, because that's what I love the most of everything, but (laughs) other than songwriting. Uh, so So I spent a lot of the COVID year just figuring stuff out, you know, bought a little keyboard, plunking around on that, trying to figure out chords and all that stuff. And you know, I had some of that stuff from back in the day when I played trumpet. So got into that, and then uh, had wrote a bunch of music over COVID time, and then started doing. I did my first gig at Sahara Lounge in Austin uh, in January. I think it was January of 2021 and it was just me and my big i had this big notebook with all my lyrics written down and big old music stand and I like hate just like that. still couldn't stand up and play at the same time
2: like it was the whole thing yeah uh, in california it's, it's like guitar. everybody has a fucking <laughs> ipad in their face and i i think it's horrible i just I, I mean you just starting off that's one thing i'm not talking shit on you i'm talking about these people that have been doing it for 30 fucking years and they still can't even learn the lyrics it's like that I just, if you if you do that shit I, in nashville they will laugh you off the fucking stage like you you can't I remember you the that.
1: moment when i was like this was about i guess it, i was about six months into doing performances because i started doing these little kind of country showcase night things you know just being my guitar and i remember the, the moment i was like i what am i doing like i've never seen a, a famous person reading lyrics off a music stand it, it, it's not it's not live music <laughs> at that
2: point extra. it's not performing it's fucking doing karaoke uh,
1: yeah and i was so nervous i remember the first show so well when I had given up my Dumbo feather you know my music stand and my my stuff and, and right. I was like wow I remember the lyrics just fine I'm fine and I, now I can actually focus on my performance and looking at the audience and moving around the stage and where the hell my hands are. you could put on a on show stupid fucking guitar like, you could oh, actually perform you know?
2: Yeah, so, what gets so, me is the tribute I, bands yeah. that still to stare at these things. They, these, yeah, these, they really, only have to learn one set list for the rest of their fucking lives, and they still have to stare at a fucking iPad. <laughs> I
1: know. I just it's a it's definitely a pet peeve of mine too. I don't talk about it very often, but I do think it's a thing that people sort of need it. But anyway, got uh, got into playing playing out, fell in love with all of it, the whole process, and started trying to put a band together, and you know what a shit show that can be, just trying to find the oh, right totally. people and schedules and goals and want to tour and all the all things. So it took me for, I mean, I probably went through 30 or 40 musicians in those first couple of years, trying to find the right fit. And some of them were great and, you know, right personality, wrong schedule, whatever, whatever. So about six months ago, I clicked the last piece of my current iteration into place, which was... Uh, a guy named Blake that's our lead guitar player so I've got a drummer named Ryan and a bass player named Miles, and then two guitar players. So I've got uh, Blake on lead guitar, and then I've got another guy named Amir that plays with us, and then another guy named Dallas that occasionally rotates in as well. So both, all of them amazing musicians, like, you know, Berkeley education, you know, music degrees, teach music, all that kind of stuff. So these guys elevate me a lot. (laughs) So I'm able to focus on the songwriting and working on the stage and the show. and the performance and all the things and so that's how I I finally got my current band together but it was it was the the magic of Craigslist I mean I I figured I was either going to get murdered or I was going to find the right person so I just kept plugging away at Craigslist and sure enough I was I had just lost my last guitar player it just wasn't a good fit for either of us and uh i thought fuck i'm, I'm so sick of this process you know i don't know how i'm gonna fix it but i'm so sick of trying to find the right person and i was on uh, craigslist at like two in the morning just kind of being all pissy and you know looking through the the listings like just for anything and i found this guy and, and i was like you know what i want to try this one last fucking time and i called him the next day and uh and he talked to me uh, and he was like oh my god he's like i went through the same exact thing he said i, I put what i thought was going to be my absolute last post on craigslist he's like i'm so sick of this process so we sort of found each other you know and it turns out he was just the exact right thing we needed so ever since he joined the band we've really elevated our show and the songs have gotten so tight now and you know we're we're working through a lot of original music so we've still got a long way to go but it's just the we've made leaps and bounds in the last six months since i've had this crew together and we just we tour together so great we're all huge mike judge fans so we're just constantly talking about silicon valley and idiocracy and like all the things um just a really smart group of yeah people mike's great appreciate the same have the same humor as i do so it's a great group
2: that's cool that's really cool how many how many guys have you played with that have tried to fuck you I imagine they're there's got to so be a younger, lot.
1: They're so hopefully none. They're all like children to me. <laughs> I mean, not really. Like, we get a lot oh, of... Oh, that's great, the end thing, you
2: know, trust me. Like for 25. 20-somethings <laughs> to fuck a 47-year-old, that's... that's... that's huge. They all want <laughs> no, that.
1: It's, we set that we set the precedent nice and early that it's uh that's that's off the table. <laughs> so, but uh, but yeah, yeah, it's a uh, it's, it's a great group, and I feel I feel super lucky to have them because it's taken a long time to figure it all out. And, you know, it's that's how it goes in the music biz. I kind of doubt that people played in ten different bands like they do now. Now it's like everybody that's good is in a fucking million bands. So you're trying to. Oh, you're talking about bass players. Schedules and things. I don't know
2: no bass players every single bass player I've ever met has been in at least two three bands
1: yeah if they're good this guy I have now miles has been with me the longest so I think I've had him about a year and a half and I and when I first landed him the previous bass player had been somebody that had super nice guy but had kind of switched from guitar to bass and so it was oh still they sort of all are and, they're you know, almost all
2: something. disgruntled guitarists
1: yes. And so, that, so I needed to find a bass player who started on bass and felt like bass was their main instrument. Because, you needed you know, a flea.
2: Yeah, you needed a flea.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, but my last bass player, um, right when he, after he left, we had a show on the books and I was like, and I was still really new, remember? So I was like, oh, we don't need a bass. Like, what does the bass even do? It's fine. Let's just do it as a three piece with no bass we did a two hour show with no bass and I was like, oh my god, that's what the bass said. The drummer and the bass are just so tied together and again, you know kind of coming from the trumpet world and stuff, I I didn't know any of this stuff I didn't even know what an XLR cable was you know?
2: What's your favorite song to play live that you guys have?
1: Uh, Bama. I love Bama. The tip jar song.
2: Yes, and that's the song that we're going to play after this interview so.
1: Oh cool it's my fave. I enjoy it because it's I think it speaks to musicians. Anybody who's worked for Tits gets it. They're going to be like, yeah, I appreciate you telling me how much you love me or love my music, but please buy a CD. So that one I, that one I enjoyed. The other one that I really, the whole album, I mean, it, I know we talked about earlier being like, oh, whatever ego maniac, but I, I put a lot of work into that album and the people that produced it with me, I have a couple of guys out in Arizona named Jeff Lesby Bolt and uh, PH Nafa and those two guys put so much time into that album i mean we just combed through it with a fine tooth comb finding you know the the right guitar solo and the right drum lick and all the things and it just it was it was such a labor of love that i'm super proud of it and i i like a lot of the music on there but bama is my fave my probably my second favorite one is uh is born pretty have you did you listen to that one by chance i didn't
2: i didn't no i'll have to check that one you'll out. need
1: to check that one out because it's uh It's all about a girl with a glass eye and little bitty titties and, you know, it talks all about a short, she's got a short leg and she's got, you know, all these things that are supposedly wrong with her, but she ultimately is, the the line in the song is, um, um, the boys making noise every place I'm at, saying, girl, how you make it with a face like that? How you make a girl in this big, bad city? I guess I got lucky I was born this pretty, you know, so she's all about just being OK with herself, no matter what she looks like and what people think of her. And so for me, you know, coming into the, the music world, like I said, in my 40s and having people be shitty to me on social media about the clothes I wear and all of that stuff. I mean, that's where the name Trashy Annie came from was people saying mean stuff on social about the clothes I wear on stage when I used to release stuff under Annie Davis. And so I was like, fuck it, world. I'm gonna be what I wanna be and I'm gonna wear what I wanna wear. And so we'll call the band Trashy Annie as a result. But that song Born Pretty is kind of, you know, sort of defines what Trashy Annie is as a band. So um, that's one of my favorites as well for that reason.
2: What was your biggest uh, physical milestone that you've actually that done in your life?
1: Physical milestone? Uh, Iron Man's. I've done, do you know what Iron Man's are?
2: Yeah, of course.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So
2: You go through so mud, do... you go through all kinds of hell. I believe yeah, people it's, shoot it's, you with a couple guns the, before you hit the hit the it's thing it's too 2. they like 4, they snipe 2. you point
1: four mile swim and then 112 mile bike and then a, a marathon so in my 20s i decided i wanted to sort of teach myself how to swim and do a triathlon and so i got into that uh kind of mid 20s and uh and was a, and still am a terrible swimmer however I got myself to the point where I could do triathlons and do pretty well in them because I could make up all my time on the bike and the run, and so got into that world, and then got into Ironmans, and I've done four of those. I've also done, I guess, actually even more than Ironman. I've done a a, a lot of adventure racing, which is similar to similar, but you're trekking around in the woods with a map and compass, trying to find checkpoints, and usually there's running and trail trail running and bushwhacking, and kind of you can choose your own route, so you can go however you want. You can go over the top of a mountain if you think it's going to get you to the checkpoint faster uh, than taking the trail. So it has um, trail running, and then it has mountain biking, and it has kayaking, all based around wilderness orienteering. So I've done some of these races that are like three days long, like 36-hour races. You don't sleep. You just fucking go. Or maybe you'll sleep 10 minutes in a ditch on the side of a mountain and then go again, you know? But I've done stuff like that too, so I. Jesus, I and there's
2: serial killer dodging in there too. Like a bunch of serial killers come out and try to kill you while you're running, and.
1: It's possible. I think I'm fast enough. They just
2: couldn't
1: catch me. Because <laughs> how many serial killers are out
2: there training? Most every of them day, are not in you know, shape. On their cardio? Do they do that? But yeah, most of them are that not in shape. In
1: my mind, I'm always like, oh, I'm just run
2: away from them. They can't catch me. If I think of like all the killers that I've studied in the last 15, 20 years, I can't think of one serial killer that was actually in shape. They're usually big fat fucking slobs or Gary Ridgway was he was in decent shape because he he went to work every day and stuff and he was he wasn't overweight or anything. And Jeff Dahmer, he was he was not overweight, but he was a complete shit show alcoholic. So it's like yeah, I can't think of any serial killers that actually took care of themselves. And I think the main reason for that is probably because they were busy, you know, killing people. That does take a long time when you're killing that many people.
1: I, I, I do like that your bar for being in shape. You're like, you know, he was in pretty good shape. He, he went to work every day. <laughs> <You> <laughs> well,
2: at know? least he did something, and he, and he had a physical pretty job. He was a mechanic, so he was he was actually you know doing things physical instead of just sitting sitting in a fucking cubicle or something, you know.
3: Yeah 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 for
2: sure no but that's that's great that you've that, that you've done all that and you take care of yourself and you can't tell that you're 47 from looking at your pictures that's for goddamn sure and i love the fact that you you don't give a fuck about like saying how old you are because to a lot of people that get older you know especially when they get to be 50 or whatever they don't they don't want anybody to know that they're old like it's some kind of fucking curse like it's some kind of bad thing my thing is yeah you know what i'm old and when young people make fun of me i'm like the world's probably gonna end before you're my age, so guess what? I'm gonna have more memories <laughs> and I have more life than you. So shut the fuck up. Plus, I well, probably fucked not, your mom. To your
1: point: if you're not getting older, you're dead, right? Like it's one you, or the you, other. You
2: get you older, you earlier. die. That's it. That's it. it.
1: So That's people it. that hate birthdays, I never understand it. I'm like, if you didn't, if you're not having a birthday, you're dead. So appreciate the birthday and have a good time with it, and stop everybody taking themselves so damn seriously. And getting yes, old I have is no a privilege. Talking about my age and hopefully it inspires somebody out there to pick up a guitar that didn't think they could do it just because they're too old you know and i have gotten messages like that and it makes me so happy when somebody says man i bought a guitar because of you you know nothing makes me happier than that because i feel like it's gonna people are gonna have more joy in their lives because of something that i did that inspired them and i hate a lot of things about social media but that's one area that makes me happy is that you can connect with people that you otherwise never would have had an impact on, you know, all over the world, which I think is a really cool thing.
2: So what was your favorite influences growing up?
1: My favorite musical influences growing up. And I want
2: to hear like two or three. I don't want to hear like seven or eight, like just like your I favorite go tos. I
1: can't tell you seven or eight anyway, only because not because I don't have them, but because it isn't that specific. You know, I used to listen to every... Album that my mom had. She had a record player, and I'd come home after school and just put those records on and just kind of go through them. Oh, the days
2: of listening to mu- the music because you had it. Yeah, I remember those. You know, days. I
1: loved everything about it, and I loved the different, and I still love all different kinds of music. But oh god, yes, I think,
2: yes, there's no reason you know, to be fucking locked in the one thing. As a
1: kid, as a kid, I really like, um, I really, really liked Simon and Garfunkel. I loved you know rock and roll Joan Jett especially that whole world um, those guys I love too and of course the Stones and you know all the stuff that everybody likes but it's uh, but I have a lot of musical you know I, I, I like Eminem I like Patty Griffin I like I, you know Rustin Kelly I just I like a lot of different stuff I just went and listened to uh, more of Carolyn Honey after talking to you about it. I thought their stuff was great, and you know, and their songs don't all sound the same. And I think that that's she's got a great voice.
2: Yeah, and she's a great human being. Like just like doing the interview, like it, like with you, like it's just like just talking and you could tell if a person's a piece of shit or if they're full of themselves or whatever I mean it's like I really enjoy talking to you I really enjoy talking to her and you guys are the first females that I've ever interviewed in my life because I don't I've done a, a million interviews where people have interviewed me but I've never I've never really done this too much so it's like she was the first female I've ever interviewed you're the second and it's like both of you guys are really fucking awesome and you guys don't sound anything alike you guys are completely different people thank god because i don't like having the same person on the show but it's like you guys are nothing alike and i, I love that you know Me too. It's, i it, think it's
1: cool and that's those are the kind of bands i like to share bills with too where it's somebody who's fun and upbeat and you know gets the crowd excited but it doesn't it's not more of the same so it doesn't feel like there's just two trashy annies up there or two heroin honeys or whatever just, no i've never it's heard, heard nice anything like you bands that are that are different but on the same bill in that way
2: yeah, you're like the Runaways meets fucking like Waylon Jennings. It's like, <laughs> it's completely different. That's a cool different. analogy. I like that one. Like but, that but yeah, one. it's like punk rock country. It's, it's, uh, but, but it, ha- it has an attitude. And you're not afraid to play the, the, the ditzy girl sometimes on, on the songs because that's like a stereotypical fucking thing. And you're not, you're not afraid to like make fun of that. You know, I, I, I like that about you. You're, you could tell. That you are very brilliant. That you're not some stupid fucking dumb twat. Like you have a brain. Like you are a respectable human being, whether in mu- you're, you're in music or not. But you know how important it is to entertain people, and you have to kind of play a little part whenever you whenever you do these songs. And you could actually play a character. I'm like, she's she's playing a character. This isn't like exactly her especially like the tip jar song, you know, it's like talking to you. I would never thought that you would have wrote that song, but you are entertaining. That's great.
1: That's exactly what I want to hear. I like that whole thing being an onion, you know, where you've got all these layers. And you're like, Oh wait, that's
2: totally, so totally. That thing.
1: But That's cool. That makes me happy. You know, it's me and it's, it. it it's just all these little pieces of me kind of, smash together um, that come out in my songs and you know little bits and pieces but ultimately a lot of them are stories maybe not about me but maybe people that I'm sort of envisioning that that's what they've gone through or whatever I was really really introverted as a kid and like super shy you know didn't date anybody until I was like almost out of high school and it was just like just me and my trumpet you know (laughs) and sort of a nerdy kid with bad skin and all the things and so Anyway, I was just really, really shy. And so I, I, because of all that, I got used to just observing the world around me and kind of thinking about what other people were experiencing. And I think a lot of that comes out now that I found songwriting. You know, something you go through at the beginning where everybody thinks you're just writing about your own shit all the time. And I always feel like, at least for my songs, I take a seed of something. And whether that's an emotion that I'm feeling because of whatever, or something I see, or something I hear, whatever. That's the seed for the tune, and then you kind of build the story around it. And it may or may not have anything to do with your actual life, but you sort of build it from probably an emotion you were feeling, or something you saw, or something you you know thought somebody else was feeling, or whatever. Um, but it's kind of a seed, you know, and then it grows from there. And I, I just love. The process for that reason because you you know you can write about so many different things back in the day you had to go the music you were exposed to was either on the radio or you go to a, a record store and you know pick something out and hope it doesn't suck look at the million songs a day on on spotify all different artists you know and it's just so much And most of it there. really sucks so i'm
2: sorry but most of it really does yeah let's talk a little bit about true crime were you able to look at that case
1: i did look at that case i couldn't find much about uh him but i did see that you know he and his his new wife uh off the ex the ex-girlfriend and uh it's a very sad story
2: I mean, I dub him the dumb fuck killer because nobody gave him a moniker as far as the police or the media, and I talk about that in the episode. But yet, the episode's not completed yet, so you haven't got to hear it. But it's basically he he kills her, he chops her up into multiple pieces, puts her in ice chests, and then drives her from uh, from North Carolina to his wife's sister's house in Texas, in Richmond, Texas, and. Literally throws her out in little pieces. I think she was in 11 different pieces and throws her out to the alligators, expecting the alligators to dispose of her body. And uh, that's pretty fucking stupid.
1: On so many levels.
2: Yeah, just a, a tragic story. This one was only 27 years old.
1: Uh, when did it happen? What was the time frame?
2: I believe it was 2011. Yeah, it was 2011. Mm. So this is Trashy Annie. Hope you enjoyed that interview with her. That was very, very cool. This is her favorite song that she does live called Bama. Hope you like it.
4: I saw you standing there by the side of the stage.